Welcome to the podcast, Three Things That Matter. My name is Anne Blake, and in each episode, I interview a different guest. They are asked to bring three things that matter to them. These might vary from books and plants to places and occasions. These three things provide the jumping off point for discussion of the extraordinary in the everyday. Three Things That Matter is a Limerick Post podcast and is released every second Wednesday. In episode four of the first series, I speak to novelist Roisin Meany. Originally from County Kerry, Roisin started writing in 2001. After thinking about it for over a decade, she began writing her first novel, The Daisy Picker. It won a Write a Bestseller competition and was published in 2004. Four years and three books later, she packed in her teaching job to become a full-time writer. She's currently working on her 20th novel, with her 19th, The Book Club, due for publication on June 10th. Her books consistently make the Irish top 10 bestseller list. Several have been translated into Norwegian, Danish, German, Italian and Russian. And she's looking forward to her first Slovenian translation. She's also been published in Australia and the US. Roisin is the author of two children's books. And once a month, she tells stories to toddlers in her local library. So, Roisin, a welcome. Delighted to have you on Three Things That Matter. Thank you very much for joining me. Oh, thanks, Anne. My pleasure. Oh, well, and sure, look, we might as well get started. You have brought three things with you. And what is the first one? The first one is a chicken or a hen. I'm not quite sure. I don't really know the difference between a chicken and a hen. I know a chick is the little yellow fluffy thing, I think. And after that, I'm lost. It's, but... That's it. Sorry, just when you even say that, I'm like, yeah, I... I... I really should know that at this yeah, point in my life. Yeah, doesn't it feel like something that everyone should know? What is a chicken <laughs> and what is a hen? I mean, yeah. the chicken did cross the road, so obviously it was gone past the yellow fluffy stage. Mm. But but does a chicken lay eggs or does it have to be a hen to do that? See, all mm. sorts of <laughs> philosophical questions coming up here. <laughs> anyway, my, this particular, let's call her a hen for the sake mm-hmm. of argument, for the sake of clarity. Um, this, this hen is a papier-mâché hen that I got as a present in, I think it was 2008. It was around then anyway, because it was when I retired from teaching. I took earlier retirement then to concentrate on the writing. And half the people I told said, God, you're crazy. And half the other people said, go for it. So I decided to go for it anyway. So I did. But one particular friend got me this hen as a present, uh, a retirement present. And I just love her. She's, uh, she's about, what size is she now? She's about Actually, she's about the size of a regular hen um, and she's got little wooden sticky legs and a red, um, uh, what, coxcomb is it? Of course, it's not a coxcomb on a hen, it's a hen comb, I suppose. But anyway, she's got that red thing that's coming up over her head and her face is red as well. And she's she's tilted down, so her beak is is balancing her as well as her two legs. She's kind of, they're, they're the three points of contact with the floor. So it looks as if she's pecking at the ground. And I just have her sitting normally at the, on the um, hearth beside the fire. And she just makes me happy to look at her. And um, I just think she's a lovely present. It's made by a woman in Kilkee, apparently, um, mm. who makes them for a living. And who, she also gives workshops. And this particular friend um, went along to a workshop to make her own hen. Now, um, I'm not actually, I don't think she made this, this hen. I think the workshop came after. But um, yeah, they're they're just gorgeous. And she makes them in all different colors. My one is black and white spots. I love spotty things too. 
so yeah that's my head and yeah it makes me happy just makes me happy and it was <laughs> and it was um obviously you know you're you're a very established writer novelist but I was this hen kind of scene it's like she marks a significant point in your career in a way well, I suppose it was significant because up to then I'd had three books published and I had a fourth one in the offing. I think I might have had it pretty much written, but it wasn't published, but I had the publishing deal for it, which was why I decided, look, at, I'm just going to go for it. Um, and, and besides, I had nobody to feed or mind or, you know, unmarried, no kids, whatever. So only myself to worry about and my parents living up the road. So I knew I'd never starve. You know, my mother would put another spot in the pub, in the pot if I was stuck. Um, so, yeah, it was a definite turning point. Um, I, I did have qualms before I left, but I just, like I say, I, I decided to go for it. I'm a bit of a risk taker, I suppose. And uh, again, I had nobody depending on me. So I knew that I wasn't risking anyone else, only myself. Um, yeah, and the hen kind of reminds me that I made the right decision. I suppose that's one of the reasons why she makes me happy, that when I see her, I, I, I kind of remember that she came at that point when I was at the crossroads. I took that road and happily it turned out to be the right road. Fingers crossed that it continues to be. Yeah, and that was, you were, you were three books in. Three in books in, yeah, yeah, and the fourth on the way. Wow. Mm. And like, it, it, risk-taking is... Obviously, as you say, you're considering, oh, well, you're saying I, I only had myself to take care of. But I mean, yourself in another way, it's all it's all any of us have. Yeah, to an extent. Yeah, I suppose. But um, I did. I had bought my house at the right time. I was very mm. lucky. I had a small mortgage that was nearly paid off at that stage because um, I'm good at saving when I have to be and I'm good at paying off debts. I hate debts hanging over me. So I, um, yeah, I had the house sorted. I knew that I could, you know, still pay that. Um, and um, yeah, I, I, I suppose I like the idea of a little risk. I wouldn't risk mm. big things. I mean, I wouldn't risk my house on a bet. Uh, or you know anything that could go disastrously wrong um, and I suppose I knew at the back of my mind that if the books went belly up I'd find something else to do now as it turns out I couldn't go back into teaching that was one of the conditions under which I came out because I only had 17 years of teaching so normally you're not allowed to take early retirement with just that little few years hmm. but there was a pilot scheme operating at the time um, and maybe there was a glut of teachers I can't really remember that part but they were kind of offering people the option. Um, I think if you had 15 years minimum, you could actually opt for early retirement. But one of the conditions was that you could never be a teacher again. Now, maybe I could sub or something. I'm not sure. I haven't looked into it because I haven't needed to, thankfully. Not that I'd hate going back into the classroom by any means. I enjoyed teaching. I loved it when I was doing it. But um, yeah, I, I'm not sure, but I, I could do something else. You know, I'd find something else to do. I'd, I'd be pretty enterprising, I think. And yeah, I could turn my hand to a few things. And I wouldn't be too fussy either about where I earned my crust, as long as it was pleasant and, you know, I had happy people around me and that, I'd be happy. Yeah, it's, it's a, a positive environment. It just makes any job so much easier. Oh, for as sure. I, um as I said, as you said, good people around you. Yeah. Um somebody once said to me, people don't leave bad jobs, they leave bad bosses. 
Yeah, do you know, there's a lot of truth in that, I'd say, or just bad colleagues. You know, if there's mm. a toxic environment, oh, I, I could not work in that environment. I just couldn't. And I've I've had conversations with people who are really in places they hate. And I just, I, I think I couldn't do it. I couldn't mm. do it. If it meant a huge dip in salary, if it meant, you know, even maybe having to sell a house and buy a smaller thing or whatever, or rent, I'd have to do it because I just couldn't. I couldn't do that to myself, you know, to to inflict that awfulness on myself. Well, you spend so much time at work. It, yeah. It's so many hours of the week. Like they say, you spend a third of your life in your bed mm. and, and then you spend a huge chunk working. And yeah. to be in, and I know a lot of people are in, unfortunately in situations where they they see, they can't maybe take the risk and and leave, but um it, it it's awful because you know you're risking something else by staying you know um yeah i could have a lot of empathy for for people in those situations sure. um because it is very tricky if you're waking hours of your working week are somewhere you don't want to be or in it even online you know even if you're being somewhere online with other people that that isn't pleasant um yeah. it's it's very tricky and yeah. out of curiosity um, did you ever name your hen? You know, I didn't. And now that you've asked me, I'm thinking, why the heck didn't I? <laughs> oh my God, she definitely so deserves a name. Okay, that's my next mission. <laughs> Thanks, Anne. It's genuinely never occurred to me to name my hen. Oh, really? No. And, and has she featured in any of your books? She hasn't either. Oh my gosh. <laughs> You're giving me so much food for thought here, Anne. Thank you. Oh, my God, I'm inspired. Because I always feature a cat in my books. That's just a thing because I love cats. Um, but but I also love the hen. So she she deserves a place in a story. God, yeah. Maybe a children's story. Oh, God, now the wheels are turning. Okay, get Tell off. Me. I have to do this. Get off. <laughs> Look, all I want is a small percentage of commissioners. <laughs> oh, God, children's books. Mm, don't hold your breath. Any kind of percentage there, I'd say. <laughs> I want, I look, this is the thing though, like creative, uh, creativity comes from talking and bouncing off other people. And yeah. um, that's how that, well, I mean, obviously it comes in many forms, but a big, a big part of that is our interaction with the world, our interaction with other people are, are even eavesdropping. I don't know. Did you ever oh, find yeah. that? Yeah, definitely. There's great, the great fodder to be had in eavesdropping. Um, and it can be inadvertent. I don't really set out to eavesdrop, but you know, if you're in a coffee shop, if you can remember that far back, and there's people <laughs> sitting at the sa- at the next table, you can't butt over here what they're saying. Or, you know, you're passing a, a, a couple in a supermarket, and you know, as you reach for the cornflakes behind them, you're going to hear what they're talking about, whether you want to or not. So yeah, there is. You never know what you could pick up. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, the hen, the unnamed hen. <laughs> the unnamed hen. Oh God, I feel so bad now. Sorry, hen. Sorry. <laughs> hey, a hen or chicken? We we don't know. <laughs> no, <laughs> we don't even know that. Oh God, I feel I don't even deserve her. <laughs> two two adult women on a, on a podcast. You do know the difference between a chicken and a hen. How did we get this far in our life? Um, (laughs) I know. I know. Yeah. It's one of those things like, is it too late to ask? I I just. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you kind of think, God, I can't possibly ask that question at this stage of my life. They left me off Twitter or wherever. 
there used to be a show wasn't it like do, do you know as much as a 10 year old or something like, <gasps> oh my you gosh know, I've been that, terrified of that show <laughs> <laughs> you do that sneaky thing where you you ask a child so what's the difference between a chicken and a hen as if yeah. you know the answer and you actually get the answer out of them <laughs> <laughs> that's so sneaky and so great <laughs> telling you I'm full oh. of ideas today anyway um the hen fair play to to her she it is her um yeah and on being your first, the first thing that you, that you brought. And, um, and what, what will be your, your second thing? My second thing is actually another present from another really good friend. And this dates from 2004. So she's, it's even older than the, the, the nameless hen. It's a vase. It's a vase that's made out of, um, well, it's, I suppose, kind of ceramic-y. I'm just showing it to you. Um, it's it's uh, shaped like a, a bag, a shopping bag, and it's got daisies on it and a girl dancing with loads of shopping bags in her hands. And it was, it was given to me as a present when my first book called The Daisy Picker was published in 2004. That's how I know um, that's when I got it. And again, it just makes me happy. I fill it with whatever I can find um, and I sit it on the windowsill or on the table or whatever. If I've got nice scented flowers on, I put it really close to me so I can smell it. Um, otherwise I might put it in the window or, or just find a nice space for it. And uh, yeah, like the hen, it just cheers me up when I look at it. It's and I, you know, I, I really um, I'm close to that friend who gave it to me. So it kind of reminds me of her as well. Um, and we're still really good friends all these years later, which is good. And she yeah. and she made it herself. No, no, no. She bought this in a gift shop. No, no, this was bought. But uh, it was a thoughtful gift. It was, you know, it's got the daisies and she so she did spend a bit of time thinking about it. And it was obviously your your first book. Yeah, it was my first book. And actually, to this day, she says it's her favorite of my books, um, which which I yeah, I, I kind of I'm a bit bemused by that because I would hope that I'm learning as I go along and, and that um, every book is slightly better, hopefully, than the one that went before it. I don't know whether that's true or not, but I would have said that the Daisy Picker was definitely my learner book. I hadn't a clue when I was writing it, really hadn't a clue. I, I didn't know how long a book should be. I didn't know, you know, how you should end it. Should you have a plot? Should you just launch in? I was just making it up as I went along, literally. Um, and when I thought it was finished, then I decided I'd kind of show it. But um, yeah, so to this day, I when I open it, I, I do kind of cringe a bit sometimes. And I think, oh God, I would have written that so much differently now. But maybe that's just the way it goes when you're a writer. But it's awful that you can't go back and change. <laughs> <laughs> it's out yeah. there in the world. It's out there in the world. Uh, you know about those kind of things too. But it's that thing as well, I think, sometimes when people's first piece of work, be it an album or, or a film or a book, yeah. that there's possibly a kind of a, a raw optimism and energy to it that, um, and, you know, that discovery of how do you do this that uh that can make something very special yeah I think you're right actually Anne and I know when my mother read the book um she, her comment was she's you you're writing your story because 
briefly the plot was about a woman who decided her life was kind of going nowhere she was in a rush and she just took a completely different direction and ma'am would have said that you know that was what I wanted to do at the time although I actually didn't really feel it then that I wanted to leave teaching and be a writer I I thought I could just do the two maybe and you know I, I saw myself still being a teacher up to 65 or whatever um, and just writing in my spare time but but sure as you know like mothers know everything and you know she was right <laughs> she was right it took a few years for me to realize that she was right in that um yeah so there is that kind of as well I suppose through art and creativity that you you make discoveries about yourself yeah for sure yeah yeah definitely even if you're not writing about yourself sorry what were you yeah no I I was just going to say that in fact I think with any work of art like a song or a film or or a play or whatever um there's a bit of you in it anyway you know you're going to come into it you mightn't be an actual character in it but there's going to be bits of you all over the place Mm. so yeah and and maybe yeah maybe the first one I do have a soft spot for the daisy picker because like you say it was my first and you know and I was so thrilled when I got a, a publishing deal for it and that um yeah, but but um, yeah, the, the, and and the story was kind of sweet. Um, in fact, it wasn't the story I had envisaged at the start. I when I when I I actually won a publishing deal with it, and I had to send away three chapters to enter the competition. And and then when the editor read the rest of the book, she said, "Oh, I think we're going to have to change that ending because it was quite dark." And she said, no, you're not writing that kind of book that's going, that's going to have a dark ending because the reader won't expect it and will be disappointed and let down. So she persuaded me that I must change the ending. So they kind of all lived happily ever after. <laughs> well, most of them, some of them weren't too nice, so they didn't have too, too happy endings. But um, yeah, most of the people ended happily. Um, and from then on, I suppose I've kind of rounded out my endings to, to, to make um, it they're, them quite optimistic. Not always happy ever after, but... Yeah, bit of hope. How did you find that, I suppose, first experience of being edited or being kind of pushed in a different direction? Well, I was actually delighted to have somebody who knew what they were doing, because like I say, I was a total ignoramus, so I had to clue. So I got to have an editor was was fantastic. And I actually acquired an agent along the way, too. I kind of did it backwards. I got the publishing deal first and then I decided maybe I needed an agent because I was so clueless. So I contacted an agent and she took me on because I had a publishing deal already, I suppose. It made her life very easy and she could still get her 10 percent of of my takings. Um, But yeah, so I was delighted to have any one at all in my corner so and the editor was great really she was very thorough very very kind to me and kind of guided me in the process and and the book needed to be heavily edited you know it was very amateurish and um yeah there was a lot that needed altering um, the story basically didn't change except for the ending that that was quite different but um the story itself didn't change but a lot of the bits along the way just had to be kind of tightened and fine-tuned and um yeah just made better mm. And like you're, you've spoken about obviously um, taking, you know, your previous thing was about um, the moment where you actually took the leap. And this thing is around um, uh, starting. And, you know, it's, it's, it's always that, that question. And I'm sure you've been asked it loads of times, but like when you, was was writing you were doing for yourself or when, like when you started to, to write this first book, was it something you were doing for yourself or were you like, I really want to get this published or I really be like, 
how how did that kind of manifest? Oh, I I totally wanted to get a book published. Yeah, I did, but I but I hadn't a notion whether I would or not. So I, I wasn't determined to get the book published, but I was very hopeful that, mm. that I'd, I'd produce something that somebody wanted to publish. Um, I did a weekend writing course beforehand in Killaloo, a man called David Rice, who's um, an author himself. Mm. He was giving courses at the time. And I did this course knowing that I had already applied for a career break from my teaching job because I decided I needed to get away to write where mm. I wouldn't have interruptions. So I went over to San Francisco. One of my brothers lived in the city at the time and I, I just moved in with him. But I did a weekend course and I part of the tasks that we were set during the course was to come up with a plot, a kind of a very basic plot, even a one sentence plot. But then he got us to kind of broaden it out into a page to just add a bit more detail. But so I went armed with that. Um, I had prior to that, I had been writing um, in, in Touch, the monthly member magazine of the INTO. Um, which got distributed to pretty much every primary teacher in Ireland. And I had been writing a column there about uh, the joys of teaching infants, which I was doing most of the time. Um, mm. And, and prior to that, I had taken a, an earlier career break and I had gone to London and worked as an advertising copywriter because I just liked the idea of trying to um, uh, write ads and, and write snappy slogans and supermarket leaflets and things. And the reason for that was, I know I'm going totally backwards with this, but the reason for that was I had won a car when I was 18, a Ford really? Fiesta. Yeah, um, by finishing a slogan, I would like to win a Ford Fiesta because, and I think there were 12 words to play around with and I, I, I did it in seven. My father won't let me drive his was my slogan. And I won the car. And of course, after that, I was addicted to competition. So every competition I saw that had a, I would like to win a something, as its mechanic, I jumped at it and I won a good few other things as well. So that was kind of what got me started on the writing lark. And then I kind of took a step forward and decided I might try advertising because I felt that was akin to writing slogans for competitions. So I blagged my way in, into a, a job in London um, on the outskirts of London. It wasn't one of the swanky Sachi and Sachi's or anything, but it was it was a very respectable agency in, in um, Isleworth. And I worked there for about three years. And then when I came home, I went back into teaching, but I asked the INTO if they'd like a little column because I wanted to keep writing in some way. So I did that. And it was during those few years then when I was back in Ireland and before I decided to go away, I decided um, I'd try my hand at writing a book. Yeah. So wow. it was a it was a, a kind of a twisty turny journey, but I got there in the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, there there is very few direct routes to any of these. Like, they it always looks like this when you have these conversations, and oh, it just seemed to be destined. But the reality is, life is messy and confusing and uncertain, and yes. you find yourself in certain places along the way and, and then you look back and kind of piece it all together but um yes yeah yeah exactly it's um that's lovely okay yeah. and so and that and that was your your um your your ceramic well it kind of looks like a ceramic bag what what I'll do is I will um I'll, I'll take a little picture of these things and I'll, oh, yeah, I'll, okay. put, I'll I'll put them up on on online uh, so people can see them because sometimes right. uh guests uh talk about uh places so you know, oh, not yes, everyone has yes. objects. So yes, yes, um, yes. but okay. lovely. And so it is. It's very, it's very cute. It's very lovely. So what is um what is your third thing? Now my third thing is alive. It's actually alive. And I know the hen might appear alive, but she's not actually. But yes. this is actually alive. It's a plant. It's a plant. Um, it and it's going to be uh well, I'm not sure if it's going to be a lemon 
tree or plant or something. Okay. And I, I don't imagine it'll bear fruit because no more than my ignorance about the hen, I have no, no knowledge at all about growing lemons in Ireland. <laughs> I imagine you can't, <laughs> but unless maybe, maybe in a polyton tunnel, which I don't have or a greenhouse. But I got this plant as, as another present, actually. I'm so lucky, I have, I have gorgeous friends. Um, this, this friend had gone to Rome for a, a week or so, and she had bought a lemon while she was in Rome. And she either brought the lemon home or just the pips, I'm not sure. But when she got home, she planted every pip from the, from the lemon. And then she gave me a pot with, it was about two inches high when she gave it to me and I've been minding it and nurturing it and now it's about um, maybe eight inches they don't grow very fast because this is um last year she gave me she gave it to me um she came to have tea in my garden I think it was just after the first lockdown we were all still afraid of meeting each other so all we all we could risk was a, a cup of tea in the garden and she brought it along and I've been minding it and minding it and um yeah I I, I just love the idea that you know you you can have something growing if you mind it and if you're nice to it and and it'll it'll respond uh, not with everything now I have my failures in the garden too plenty of them but it's lovely to see when something kind of comes on and and it's looking healthy it's looking very healthy there's absolutely no sign of oh sorry there's absolutely no sign of any fruit but it's got nice healthy kind of glossy leaves and um, yeah. And I've started taking more interest in gardening in general. So I'm, I'm really, um, I'm protective of this. I think it might need to be repotted actually. I think it's kind of outgrowing this pot. So um, Yeah, it, it's, yeah. Um, it, the, the nice thing happened there because obviously you can't really show a, a no. lemon tree on a podcast, but you can hear it when it scratches. Yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yes, there was a bit of scratching going on there. Sorry. <laughs> no, no apologies. No. And and this friend had just been to Rome, um, just just before lockdown. Yeah, she had. Yeah, she actually. Yes, she went to she went to Rome. She just got in and got home before we were all told to stay at home. So she had been home all the first lockdown. And then as soon as we were told, you know, you can kind of meet cautiously. Um, mm. She came with, with this plant. And like I say, I think it was, oh, it wasn't more than two inches high. It might even have been smaller. Um, and I'd never had a lemon plant before. So um, I was just chancing my arm. And actually I got it wrong at the start and it started to wither and I panicked. And I think I, I put up a, a plea on Twitter for some horticulturalist to help me. And I was told what I was doing wrong. I think I was leaving it outside and I should have kept it indoors until it got a bit stronger. But now it's kind of going in and out. If it's a nice sunny day, I let it out <laughs> to mm. get rid of the sun. Um, but I, I mind it too. And if there's any sign of cold comes in, just to it's, be nice and warm. It's looking, I have to say, obviously not a visual medium, but it does look very healthy. I can, yeah. I can, I can um, attest to that uh, yeah, for, for anyone listening. And uh, the yeah. thing about like lemon trees <laughs> in Ireland. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, I know. Is there any 10-year-old around there we could ask? <laughs> well, I, I did briefly uh, live in um, in New Zealand many years oh, ago. Oh, did you? Oh, and, I did not know that. Uh, yeah, and I, I was staying briefly at the top of the South Island, which is... Um, Funnily enough, north there is um sorry, the top of the North Island, which when you when you're in south of the equator, north is hotter than oh, right. you know, because yeah. you're going towards the equator. Yes. And I realized in, in my garden of the house I was renting was was a lemon tree with oh, with lemons. With lemons. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. 
my my brother had a lemon tree in San Francisco, but but um, he waited cruelly. He waited until I had gone back home to Ireland, and he moved house, and there was a lemon tree in his garden. So there was none while I was there. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think it's very interesting, just even that that what that your plant symbolizes. Do you know that it mm. it symbolizes? It literally is a measurement since the somebody you know last traveled. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. She absolutely adored Rome, by the way. And she's dying to go back there. Dying to mm. go back. I love Rome too. It's one of my favorite cities. Yeah, but it's that it's like it's funny, like you're looking at it. It's kind of like when you meet a a person with children and you haven't seen, you know, the child was a a, a baby, and then you meet the person X amount of years later. And like, God, I haven't seen you in, and they can literally bring a little human and go, I haven't seen you in this long. Yeah. <laughs> Look how yeah. tall they are. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's the right. last time we saw each other. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I know. And, and, in, and in a way, this, this like lemon tree is like a measurement of, um, of the lockdown or of the last time. Yeah, it is. It is. Well, I suppose you could say any plants are like that. You know, they kind of measure time for you. Um, mm. I had a gorgeous wildflower garden in my uh, garden in Limerick last summer. Um, and oh boy, it was stunning. I And I literally just threw down wildflowers. I, I bought a mix and I threw them down along with some lawn seed that I think I probably shouldn't have added. I think they, sh- they, they would have been grand on their own. But I just thought it might be nicer if you could see green underfoot in between mm. all the flowers than earth. But there were so many of them, you could hardly see what was under them anyway. And now I have to try and keep the grass um, under control while still attempting to keep the, hopefully, uh, flowers that will come this year um, hopefully not damage them in the process so it's a bit of a pain but yeah but I think oh god flowers and plants just they're so powerful really aren't they 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 just can make you they, they talk to your soul I think and yeah they're wonderful and I, and I I think it's it's something when I'm given a plant by someone I'm always very chuffed and terrified yeah (laughs) yeah I I totally understand that (laughs) oh lord yeah please don't (laughs) let me kill it please don't let me kill it it, well you I mean I don't know do you have a good affinity with keeping them alive in general I think I'm getting better I think Mm. I am getting better my mother was an avid gardener all her life and still is at, at the ripe old age of 92 she'd still love to be out in the garden all day but now her poor old knees won't let her kneel down for too long she did get them both replaced so they're they're not really her knees (laughs) but but she's still she's kind of wary of them she's afraid she'll break them if Mm. she kneels for too long um so but she she always had lovely shrubs and things growing in our garden at home and I never really had a huge interest growing up I think it's only in the last decade or so that I've kind of got keen on it and it's it's wonderful it's a wonderful therapy after a day's writing to just go out and potter Mm. you know in the garden even if you're only pulling up you know a few scraggly things or, you know, forking through the earth to make it nice to put something else down. Um, it just, it, yeah, it's just, a, it's a great occupation, I think. It's it's wonderful, even if you don't know what you're doing. And I totally don't know half the time what I'm doing out in the garden. <laughs> but yeah, I love to see things growing. I've just planted a garden here in my house in Milton Malbec. And they're all very small now, but I'm hoping they'll spread and they'll be lovely in years to come. Just various plants that I've put down. I got cuttings from other from various people. 
Lovely. And, and uh, I mean, I, I suppose it's one of those things, isn't it? A lot of us have gotten more into maybe DIY or gardening yeah. in, since our universe got very, very small. Yeah, true. Yeah, definitely. I've got more into it since since the, the first lockdown. Yeah. Yeah. But I, it's I, a... I, sorry. Sorry. And I felt so sorry for people in apartments when we were all told to stay at home. I thought, my God, they can't even go out and walk in the garden or sit, sit in the garden. Um, yeah creatures anyway. it's it's fascinating though i have to say uh i as 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 i do this this podcast and, and interview different people you know everybody brings completely different things so far mm. um and what i find really kind of lovely about today is um they're they're all presents from people yeah too. Yeah, they are. I think that's probably why I like them. You know, I mean, you can buy yourself lovely things, but, you know, it's you buying them. Um, but when you can identify something with somebody that, that you're fond of, it just adds a new dimension. And yeah, I love getting presents. I do. And I love giving giving presents, too. Mm. But nice. it was that kind of way of friends who um, look at you and think this is something important. Or this is something that will suit you. Yeah. And- doesn't always land that way necessarily no <laughs> no I'm thinking of one thing in particular I better not say it in case the friend who gave it to me listens oh go on but go I, on go on oh god <laughs> oh god well it was a it was a, a a Christmas tree made out of dried pasta and the I, it, it it really I think it was penny and it really did absolutely nothing for me my heart sank when I saw it and the same friend has fantastic taste normally and I love what she gives me but just this particular one I don't know I don't know it did nothing for me <laughs> but well, she meant well. <laughs> well what was the logic I, I don't know I genuinely don't know I don't know Should how I? big was it it wasn't that big it was uh it was only a foot maybe or smaller yeah do you still, do you still have it no I gave it to the charity shop <laughs> oh please please let her not listen to this <laughs> I thought someone might get pleasure out of it you know so I wouldn't just put it in a drawer and leave it there I'd rather somebody somebody took it who liked it who appreciated it <laughs> so one of those moments though when you get when you get handed something mm. like that and in the moment's try not to show the disappointment <laughs> I know I know that's why I dread opening presents in front of people you know I, I I like kind of putting them aside and waiting to open them when the person is gone but some people like you know they want to see your reaction so you kind of have to do it and did, did this friend um make the, the no no she didn't she bought it which was worse like she paid money for it <laughs> yeah she probably paid good money as well it's, it was probably a lo- lovely work of art I just didn't appreciate it how, how long did it remain in your possession not long not long no I think I gave it away um straight after Christmas or maybe even before Christmas so that somebody could get it for Christmas <laughs> you weren't tempted to cook the pasta no I'm sure there were bits of glue sticking onto it no thanks <laughs> it sounds like one of those things though that um it's kind of a classroom project. Yeah, exactly. And that's exactly what I thought when I saw it. It's like something that a fifth or a fourth class would make and bring home really proudly and the mothers would pretend that it was gorgeous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, God. I've sent home a share of those things in my time as a teacher. Sorry, mothers. 
Because <laughs> you can't, you know, you, you, everything that a child produces is lovely. You know, it's their work and that. So you can't put any dampener on them and you tell them all it's gorgeous, don't you? <laughs> well, I don't, you're, you're, you're the one who's the teacher. Oh, gosh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm a firm believer in Mullanoiga and, and, and praise is much better than, mm. than censure. Yeah, yeah. Especially a work of art like that, you know. Mm, mm. <laughs> see all the parents are going stop encouraging them yeah I know I know and where am I going to put this thing you know another dust collector from Roshin okay. <laughs> <laughs> I know as your I rings a bell I remember when my my brothers and sisters started having kids you know and yeah. uh, I I'd buy presents and I remember buying like my nephew this toy and it just kind of crawl it was some kind of a snail and it crawled along beeping and make making noises and my sister said thank you so much for a really annoying present yeah 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 and then the other one was um getting them arts and crafts and painting or making sets and my you know my brothers and sisters and brothers and sisters-in-law going stop getting this we have to make them oh gosh (laughs) yeah (laughs) I know you really need to think carefully don't you about getting presents (laughs) it's like are you giving someone a present or are you giving them a job or yeah yeah exactly or is it something you like and they mightn't necessarily you know it's, well, yeah. it, it seems that you were quite apart from <laughs> past the Christmas tree. <laughs> I've been quite lucky, I think, on that front in general. Yeah, and like I say, that same friend has given me gorgeous stuff over the years. <laughs> we have you, you have to say that now, in case yeah, you no, it's true, it's true. I swear. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, Lord, I'm terrified now <laughs> <laughs> it's okay it's just going out you know onto all platforms in the internet you know advertising the limerick post you know oh just... god oh god i must remember not to not to say it to her no <laughs> is she a keen social media person no thankfully she's not no no, she's one of the sensible it. people <laughs> avoids those those nasty places like the plague <laughs> absolutely well actually speaking of social media and um and and the like where where can people follow you well i'm mostly on twitter these days and i i'm very easy to find on twitter i'm simply at roshi mini so so there's no there's no mystery there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I I was on Facebook much more often, but I kind of came off it because it was just too time consuming to try and keep the two going. And I find Twitter easier and just more bite sized. So it's it's handier. And uh, have you a website or anything? like? Oh, that? I have. Or? I have roshinmini.com as well. I'm very bad for putting up a, a blog, though. Um, I, I haven't done it now in about two books. <laughs> so usually I'd, I'd update as, as the books come out. I've got very lazy about doing that. I must. But I'm, in fact, I'm thinking of getting a new website altogether. So I'll, uh, I'll turn over a new leaf when I get my new website, I'm sure. <laughs> I'll, I'll be more attentive. But yeah, people can read about the books on the on the website. And how is there anything? Um, is there anything new coming up, or anything that people should keep their eye out for? 
Well, I have a new book coming out, so I might mention it if you don't Do? mind. Oh, yeah, please, of course. It's, uh, <laughs> thanks, Anne. It's it's number nineteen of the adult books, which I find hard to believe. Wow. Um, I don't know where they came from at all, at all. But anyway, number nineteen. It's called the Book Club, and it's coming out on the tenth of June. Um, it's coming out in ebook and tree book and any other format you care to mention audio as well um, and it'll be in the libraries pretty soon after that libraries seem to get them very fast now so and they're very good about stocking me um, so yeah it should be it should be widely available and uh, I hope people like it and I'm working on the next one now I, that's what you're doing now is it you're working yeah on yeah I've just started I'm about 5,000 words in so it's very early days that's number 20 yeah so I'm hoping by the time this comes out, which would be next summer, um, they'll, they'll be, we'll be able to have a hooli because 20, you have to have a hooli for book 20, don't you? You do. And everything's yeah. been delayed as well. Do you know, yes. a lot of things have to be delayed. So yeah. let's hope that doesn't get delayed. God, no, stop. Don't, don't, don't even insinuate that we might still be at this in 2023. Oh, God. God <laughs> no. I, know. I know. I was talking to someone. It's like, you know, when you read history books and mm-hmm. you know, Okay, World War II was 1939 to 1945. Um, but of course, when you were living through it, you didn't know that. And yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know, every year you're like, surely it'll end next year or will this ever end? And I think, yeah. you know, when people will be looking back at this moment in history, it's mm. like, you know, they all went home for two weeks in March in 2020. Little did they know. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, yeah. Oh, stuff. Well, hopefully now, hopefully this year we'll see an end to it. That's my mm. hope anyway. Oh, yeah. right there with you. Right yeah. there with you. Hold, yeah. I'd be holding hands with you if I could. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've actually got a live event um, oh, arranged for December. A, a library, um, a few library visits in County Kerry. Um, just school kids will come into the library and I'll be having chats with them and telling stories and that. So that'll be wonderful. Hopefully December should be should be OK. Absolutely. No, I so that have you don't have the dates for that yet, have you? Oh, I don't actually. No, I don't. Sorry. And and and, and I should have checked out before this. I didn't think that's yeah. OK. That's OK. Sure. Look, you're you're at Roisin Meany. You're Roisin mm. dot dot com. Um, yeah. Dot com. Yeah. yeah. And um, yeah. and you're working on you're working on the next book yeah. as we speak. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's very, very exciting. And yes heartening to see work you know and obviously it's going to feature the hen oh the hen is going to feature for sure <laughs> for sure and and you're going to be going into the acknowledgements because that was total inspiration from you so you, you get a mention <laughs> and i think maybe the 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 past christmas tree should make oh, an appearance God. oh no oh I, I don't think i could bring myself I don't think I may have a lemon tree growing in somebody's house, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 I, I, no, I, I don't know. I'm going to advocate it. We've got the hen in. We can get this past the Christmas tree. <laughs> yeah, well, do you know what? It could add a comic element, actually. Yeah, it could. I have a 12-year-old girl in the new book. Maybe she brings it home from school. That's uh-huh. it. That's yeah. it. It's it's yeah. her beloved classroom project that the parents yeah. are stuck with for the rest of their life <laughs> and then she moves out at 18 and it's still there, <laughs> still there. the glitter gathering just <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure there are still um Christmas decorations in the in my family home that we made in school that oh for sure I think every family has them haven't they yeah yeah, yeah baubles for the Christmas tree that are falling apart but they still go up faithfully every December I remember yeah. actually my, my brother made this like two-dimensional cut out of, of a cat's face just a cat yeah. and 
and it had a, a, a hooky kind of thing on it so that it could it could hang on the tree like there's nothing seasonal Christmasy. Or Christmasy <laughs> cat. But the cat had pride a place every year in the middle of the tree oh god that is so funny oh do you know what you, do you what you should do for the laugh without saying to anyone um cut out a little Santa hat and glue it onto the cat and just put it back in the box for them to take in. out next year <laughs> this Christmas. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Justify it. Out. <laughs> justified. It only took like 40 years for this to be justified, but there it is. <laughs> well, oh, uh, Roisin, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, uh, joining it was great. Me. <laughs> <laughs> I say joining us. It's like there's this whole team of people there, actually. Yeah, it's, it's just you. It's just, just me. Well, Eric Fitzgerald in the Limerick Post will do, will work a bit of magic on it, but uh, ultimately it's just you and me here. So, um, uh, yeah. but uh, no, thank you so much. It's really lovely to hear those those stories and to hear of those things. Oh, thanks to you, Anna. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I really did. I'll have a smile on my face for the rest of the afternoon now. Oh, <laughs> lovely stuff. Well, listen, as I said, best of luck with the new book. And thank you with everything and I certainly hope next summer to be celebrating your 20th book oh let's hope so and thanks so much thank you you've been listening to three things that matter with me Anne Blake a Limerick Post podcast produced by Eric Fitzgerald theme tune is composed by myself and performed and recorded by my lovely brother David Blake you can follow Limerick Post on Twitter at Limerick Post If you enjoyed the podcast, please let others know and rate it on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter at AnneBlake78, on Instagram at AnneBlakePlay, and the podcast on the hashtag 3ThingsTM.